Welcome back to Four of a Pine Podcast. This podcast is for all those out there just like us trying to figure out what's next in their careers. So join us and exciting guests as we discuss navigating our jobs, entrepreneurship, and all the ups and downs along the way. Hi, everyone. This is Grace, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, former Major League Baseball player and one of my great friends from business school, Brendan Harris. Brendan was drafted by the Cubs in 2001, made his MLB debut in 2004, and went on to play eight seasons in the big league. He got his MBA from the Wharton School after retiring from baseball and has been working for the LA Angels in scouting and player development, as well as for sports tech venture firm 76 Capital. Today, we will talk about his journey from playing on the field to his now career off the field, some of the biggest lessons he learned from baseball that he's been applying in the business world, as well as his thoughts on women in sports. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So like I said earlier, I went to business school with Brendan. He is one of the most down-to-earth people I know. You'd forget that this guy made it to the big leagues because he didn't really talk about, or he didn't really talk that much about his baseball career at school, unless, of course, people ask. So, Brendan, maybe let's start with your journey trying to make it to the big leagues. I remember one of the VCs I know, Jamie, who's based in Toronto, once said that it's harder to make it to the major league than it is to break into venture capital. Other VCs disagree, but I'm actually with him on this one. I dug up some stats around the probability of getting drafted by an MLB team. Sounds like about 1 in 200 high school senior players, but we both know that getting drafted doesn't actually guarantee an actual spot on the team. In fact, most players end up who get drafted end up playing in the minors, and only 0.015% get to play at least one game in the major league. Getting to play one game, sure, that's impressive, but you played for eight seasons. So other than just raw talent, what are some of the things that have helped you get to the highest level of baseball? So those are a lot of actually interesting stats, and it's, it's pretty funny where if I was in college and somebody told me that, maybe I would have <laughs> thought twice <laughs> about, about leaving early. But I think it's important to realize, even though even in high school and even in college, and, and to, to be quite honest, even in the minor leagues, you always – want to play in the big leagues and you think it's possible but you know and I'm now I'm, I'm always asked this question when did you know and I'm like after I was in the big leagues for three years and essentially in and it's funny about the parallels between VC because what you just try to do is continue to improve and advance another level and then eventually there are no more levels to go and you just think to yourself oh I'm here so for me personally you know, from, from the Northeast and from a smaller town. And so it, it was the type of thing that was always, always possible, but never probable. And so getting into it, there were a lot of, I think, characteristics I think are going to help now. And certainly in baseball players, you talk about the humility and what we always would say amongst each other is that there are those that are humble and then those that are, are haven't been humbled yet, you know, because yeah. it's such a game of failure. So dealing with failure, I think, is, is one of the biggest things I think helped me get continue to get to the major leagues. And certainly you're very, very good if you're failing 70% of the time. But the other thing, certainly the, the discipline, the work ethic, benefit of, of, of kind of setting goals and, and setting a routine. And then I think the biggest thing that you learn once you're done and how it applies is being able to perform under pressure. 
being able to just believe in yourself and kind of like slow slow everything down perform I think is the biggest kind of intangible thing I think I took out of baseball no those are really good points and certainly applicable to other professions regardless of what you're trying to do or what your career goals are so did you always want to be a baseball player at one point did you say I want to play in the big league and I'm going to work super hard to get there yeah and you got to have a little bit of uh, that right amount of crazy and then you also need to have a pretty big chip on your shoulder. Everybody has their own story of so-and-so told me, oh, that I wasn't going to make it. Well, it doesn't really happen like that. It, there's always these backhanded or passive-aggressive ways that people are going to do it. And all of it, for the most part, can remember specific ones where I had I had an injury and I had a sports orthopedist that told me, well, we're not looking at a uh, you know the next point guard from Kentucky. And I was <laughs> like, blank you, buddy. Watch me. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it, but I was just like, I'll find a way. You know, you got you got that little bit of crazy and enough, you know, be able to take calculated risks and and stuff like that. Well, okay, that's funny because you said point guard and that's basketball, not baseball. So does that mean at one point you wanted to be a basketball player? Basketball, I was actually my favorite sport. I spent the majority of my time on that. And I think working with younger guys, you know, maybe in the neighborhood or where I'm from, one of the things I tell them is to play other sports. It develops your your physical athletic acumen, right? And it also doesn't burn you out from from, from certain other things. Use sport as a, it's a it's become this like money making industry and it's become problem like hard for guys to play multiple sports yeah. and and but I think yeah, you know, that that was always what I f- focused on growing up and then about I actually played in an AU tournament my junior year. With a lot of guys going to Syracuse, UConn, and I remember thinking, "Oh man, I'm, I don't think I'm big enough. You know, I'm not <laughs> tall enough." And and so that decision was made for me. That like, hey, you're gonna. This is what you're gonna do. I didn't realize you spent more time playing basketball growing up. I knew you played both basketball and baseball. I yeah. just didn't. Which. Now that I think about it, I remember us playing with a few of our classmates, right? This explains why you were actually good. So you kind of mentioned earlier sticking to a routine. Do you have any game rituals? For me personally, eating healthy and staying fit is pretty important, which I would imagine is extremely important, even more so important for athletes, right? Mm -hmm. So can you talk about the importance of sticking to some sort of routine? Yeah, it gives you some structure, and then certainly people say, oh, I'm sure it's different when you do, and I'm like, no, everybody's going to have things that bug them or, or, or whatever that just kind of grind their gears a little bit, and and so establishing that routine gives you something control over something throughout the day, and I always used to talk about going into the field, you know, one one thirty each day for a 7 p.m. game, you have a finite amount of patience capital built up, right? And you need to kind of be efficient with with your routine and your workout that simultaneously keeps your mind fresh, but also prepares your body and for for what you're going to have to do at 7 p.m. that night, because that's when you're going to have to be the sharpest. And a lot of times for us, you're going to that late inning situation is going to be at like 915, you know, so you have to pace yourself throughout the day. So, yeah, I used to get there early, get there at 1, 1.30, leave my tickets, have a cup of coffee watch a little video of the night before. Um, if I had a bad game, <laughs> I would watch some video of like sometimes when I had a good game to just kind of have that some positive reinforcement when I was leaving, go into the weight room, get get loose, um, get ready, then go down to the cage and come back, watch some more film of that pitcher, you know, and then, and then we had our team meetings, you had to deal with those things. And then you had batting practice. And then after that, yeah, I was pretty, I was, I'd call it contrast. I did hot tub, cold tub, hot tub, shower, tee it up. And then I had 
music I listen to, read a little bit, and then amazing. Yeah. Who was the hardest pitcher you had to face? So I think the best starter is probably Justin Verlander, um, and then I got to face Mariano Rivera. I got to face Rawls Chapman uh, a few times, so they were probably the most two difficult relievers. Cool. So on one end of the spectrum, you've got players who played for only one or two teams throughout their career, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got <laughs> you me. You've got you. You've got players who played for several teams. In your case, for six organizations. I, th- I or think something so. like that. Um, so outside of baseball, it's kind of like moving from one company to another. I guess, except in baseball, you don't really get to shop around for a team you want to quote unquote apply to, right? Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you're moving around because you got traded or got sold to another team, but you're essentially almost starting over every time you're new to an organization. So can you touch on your experience and some of the lessons you've learned moving from one organization to another, which can be synonymous to people moving from one company to another, trying to prove themselves all over again? Yeah, it's a tough task. It can be overwhelming, I think, think off the bat. So the first time I was traded, I was 23. And essentially, the manager calls you in and he goes, hey, there's a deal going. And then he kind of, and it's, pretty cold where it's like even with somebody you have a good relationship with and yeah. they kind of shake your hand they say hey well i'm sure we'll we'll cross in circles best of luck to you this and that now go pack your stuff and go pack your apartment <laughs> and you're gonna have a flight tomorrow or maybe even later that night um wow. uh, to go so so it's you're, you're reminded really quickly that's a business so you, you brought up a good point and so when any when anytime somebody goes somewhere new it's it's a little overwhelming and so it's, it's not even it's just from from your Maybe the person in the next office or, or cubicle to the HR, everybody that you're going to come into contact with for the most part, maybe in, unless it's somebody who referred you over there, is going to be new. So you're going to have all these other names. You're going to be trying to – like meeting so many new faces. You're going to refer, forget so many names. So I, I, for me, what I learned later in my career is just start small. Build small little relationships with people inside your circle and then go out and then you know don't try to do everything at once. The other thing you mentioned, trying to do too much, you have to remember that's overwhelming because all the equity that you built up in your previous either organization mm-hmm. or company is seemingly gone. But it's really not because somebody clearly wants you and thought that you filled a need or void or pain point they had. So they already know that you can do the job. You don't need to like go, you know, I mean, yeah, you want to make a good impression and only go and to some extent go above and beyond. But don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. That company was certainly in business before you got there. So I think just staying within your lane, certainly in that in that initial period, is, is probably the one thing that helped me transition or, or went you know through a trade. I think that's a really great point. And for people moving from one company to another, right? You've built up this resume, and yes, maybe you have to start building you know rapport in these relationships in a new organization. But that doesn't mean you just completely lost all the skills that you built prior to that new job.、Mm-hmm. So I guess moving along in your journey, just like any athlete, regardless of how good you are, you're always faced with that realization that you can't play forever. Some get to play longer than others, but Unlike most professions, where you can pretty much do it your entire life until you're in your sixties,、mm-hmm. you knew you'd have to wake up one day and accept the fact that your playing career is over and it's time to move on from baseball. So, as you reach that crossroad in your life, can you talk about that thought process 
and maybe your decision to go back to business school and get your MBA? Yeah, so I was the last two years of my career, I was up and down and I'd had, uh, actually, ironically, a high school knee injury where, uh, you know, it was starting to kind of give me some issues. And so I think physically, other than the knee, I felt good enough to play, mm -hmm. but it was going to be, it, it was more of a narrow path to be successful than, you know, obviously when I was 25. And so I still had, was looking to play, but I had always wanted to go to business school to be able to kind of pivot and rebrand myself a little bit uh, for the next chapter. And so I, I did set up two tracks. I was still working out and contacting teams and then doing the, you know, beating my head against the wall and doing the GMAT, the review code, you know, <laughs> and, do, and then the interviews, the essays and, and all those things. I remember those days. Yeah. So fun. Finally. So I went through all that and, and got the call from, uh, from Wharton that, hey, you're in. And so that was my... Oh man, I guess this is how I'm retiring. Moment. <laughs> and let's be honest, there's literally 0.001% of players that have the Derek Jeter farewell, that have the Peyton Manning, that have the, you for know, sure. Swan song like that. So every, it ends fairly rocky for everybody. And so some people have that like thought that that's how they're going to go out, but that never happens to anybody. So, you know, for me, I knew that. So I was always kind of like, Hey, there's what's, what's next. Yeah. And it, I just started that. Uh, so from there, I, I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is the next chapter. And, and at the same time, there was an element of Wharton kind of felt like the big leagues to me, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. so it was kind of a, uh, an energizing, kind of interesting, you know, new chapter, exciting new chapter for me. So why I wanted to do that is, is, uh, I think, um, a year or two before that, I made read an article about. Uh, I'd always wanted to do that. I was always fascinated with business school. I, you know, I'd always had some ideas, and so so it was always in the mix. And then, I think I'd read an article about players transitioning from their career, and not aside from the top top guys that certainly are now considered influencers and get just off their name, their their earning potential is going to be seventy percent less than you know the person that stayed in that job to your point and that worked can work from twenty five to sixty. And so my goal is like, hey, I want to go to business school and I want to leapfrog that, leapfrog that and then just get to where those people are that did the internships that grinded out those 80, 100 hour weeks, kind of leverage, you know, my domain expertise and with, with the Wharton and, and, and kind of go to from there. Yeah. So that was my, my thinking behind that. Yeah. So you use Wharton as a platform to kind of bridge that gap. Ex exactly. So while in business school, actually, I mean, you still do it now, but you do player development and pro scouting mm -hmm. with the Angels. Just for our listeners who are maybe not as familiar with baseball or these roles, can you just briefly talk about what they entail? Yeah, so the advanced scouting, um, advanced pro scouting is essentially seeing uh, other professional, uh, other teams' players, whether it maybe be AAA or the major leagues, and and seeing where everybody has certainly kind of surpluses and deficits here and there. And so you want to find a team that has what you need and vice versa. And, and then the other part of that is seeing teams that we're about to play soon in, in giving advanced kind of detailed scouting reports on who we're going to play and in ways that we should attack them, their pitchers, their hitters, etc. cetera. Uh, and then maybe you'll have certain free agent targets, you know, that maybe towards the end of the year, this guy's going to be free agent. He can match up with him. Why don't you see him for a few days, you know, see how, how they're looking physically, mechanically, all, all those things. 
Um, the player development part is is kind of working with our minor league guys, and then this is where you mix some of the kind of uh, advanced analytics in with what you're seeing on the field. And you, this is there's some projection where you know what is this guy going to be next year, two years, three years? Where does he help us? Uh, if he doesn't, what do you think we could get for him? Things like that. And then that's kind of the enjoyable part too, is where you kind of meet. That's where I'll kind of get on the field when I see our teams work with those guys and, you know, just kind of give them what I think I'm seeing, things that could help them and to get the most out of their career. Cause what a, a kind of a secret that or dirty secret is that you're essentially playing for all 30 teams when you're out there, right? You, yes, you're with our organization, yeah. but if you play well enough, even if you're behind, if you're a center fielder in our organization, you're not going to be ahead. You're not going to ever overtake Mike Trout you're still in a great position because then you have value to other organizations. Everybody knows we have my job. Everybody knows you're going to play right. center field. So they're going to be after you. They know you're available. So so things like that, getting guys to get the most out of their potential. Even though this role is clearly baseball-related, I would imagine that was still a huge transition from a career on the field playing baseball to off the field. So can you talk about that experience on your transition? And do you have any tips for people who've recently switched careers or are thinking about switching careers so i think when i think about moving you know into something new you know setting realistic expectations and being able to deal with not things not clicking right away dealing with failure i think is one thing another thing is even if it's something that i've done for 13 15 years is to keep learning whether it's finding kind of more experienced people or mentors and just continually picking their brain or, or whether it's certainly the new technology involved in our game now and just reading, reading, reading and doing, you know, as much uh, research and stuff as you can to kind of improve your kind of whole knowledge of the, of the, of the greater ecosystem yeah. as a whole. And then the last thing is that I would say is find, you know, certainly a way to, to leverage your value add wherever you're pivoting to, like the passion that something that's going to keep you motivated and drive you and the passion within that you're doing that it does. So it doesn't become a, a job where you're just punching the clock. So I think finding within that, you know, what, what is your ultimate motivator, I think is, is, is big for people that are transitioning. And so, because when you're transitioning, you're going to have to essentially take some steps back. Right. And so I think maintaining a healthy outlook and being like, all right, I, I know what what my goals are. I know what motivates me. I know what, why I'm doing this. I think maintaining that perspective is going to be big. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. It's like, um, it's like what we've heard is when you keep asking why, you know, like when you get back to right. why are you doing this? Why are you doing, well, why, you know, and then, you know, you get, you kind of, you answer the questions yourself. Right, right. So you're also now at 76 Capital, a VC firm focused on sports tech. I feel like the two of us have talked about venture capital so much, probably every time I see you, because we're both very interested in emerging technology and fascinated by innovation and meeting entrepreneurs who build their companies from the ground up. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into it? Uh, yeah, it was it was really pretty interesting where there was a communications professor at, at Wharton and, and they were teaching how to essentially, you know, pitch an investor and how to sell your company. And he was a baseball fan. We got talking and a couple deals that had come across his desk. He asked my opinion on. And after the second one, I, you know, like any business school student, I said, wait a minute, how big is the market for this? I got to stop. I don't want to stop giving this, up, <laughs> giving this out for free. And uh, so he, you know, he said, yeah, actually, it's kind of an emerging little little space in uh, sports tech. And so he connected me with, he had known 76 Capital, which is just right out of, of D.C. And, and Ryan Howard, the old Phillies first baseman, had, you know, recently become an investor. 
And for me, getting into that, it was something for me, at least, that was a clear, I, I could bring something to the table where, you know, there was something he asked me about. And I said, this technology that, you know, what they're using it was being used three, three years ago and won't even be being used in six months. And so uh, being able to find uh, a kind of niche was really appealing to me, aside from the things you, you talked about is, you know, helping things grow, the, the, the creativity, the innovation, you know, involved. They're all very fascinating. So you're also an angel investor. Can you maybe talk about what kind of companies pique your interest when you look at a company and trying to decide whether or not to invest in it? What are some of the key things that you look for? Certainly the, the, the tech and the team, but I want, I feel like every, maybe every other slide deck that comes through is, is such and such with AI and uh, to produce XYZ solutions. Um, even if they're really not using AI. Uh, so I, what are fascinating to me are things, there's a wearable, wearable tech company that patterns themselves as a, as a data platform where they're going to collect a ton of data and then they're going to personalize it and create solutions. So I think instead of just like moving way past the kind of quantified athlete or Fitbit type of, uh, of fitness, mm-hmm. you know, from, from a few years ago where you're just telling how many steps you did, how many calories you did, what your heart rate is and stuff like that. I think in terms of analyzing your, your, your biomechanics and say, hey, you're about a month away from like tearing your Achilles because of the way your foot strike is, your stride length is, things like that. You know, things that aggregate a bunch of data and can give you personalized solutions are really, really fascinating to me. Yeah, there's definitely all sorts of interesting sports tech startups popping up everywhere. I remember you sent me this company called um, Sense Arena, which is a virtual reality tech company. But you were showing me it's hockey VR training platform where you can do hockey training drills. Anyway, just to quickly add to the management team and the product or technology that you mentioned earlier, a couple other things I personally look at when screening startups are one, the market opportunity, how big that is, and two, what kind of what kind of traction they've had so far. Um, do you think venture capital is what you'd want to do long term? I think at the beginning of school, you talked about becoming a GM at some point. Is that now off the table or are you still thinking about it? No, I think uh, I think I would like to move. We'll, we'll see where the next offers come from. But yeah. uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of parallels between building a company and certainly build, you know, building, building a, team a team and building a team and organization. And I think now with the influx of technology to kind of player development and quantifying things that were previously subjective. There's a fascination in that aspect to baseball mm-hmm. for me now um, that I could certainly see myself doing. But I think baseball's turned into uh, turned the page a little bit on putting your time in and doing 20 years and don't step out because it's hard to get back in. It's, it's very fluid now. So you could yeah. go, you know, do venture, then get back in. So time will tell. So it's, yeah, so it's not off the table yet. Correct, yeah. Okay, so while well, you've spoken about a few lessons you've picked up along the way while trying to make it to the big leagues, one, two, when moving from one team to another, and then your career transition. But what would you say is the most important thing, or maybe one or two things, that the game of baseball has taught you that you can apply in the business world? Well, the biggest thing that came out of that, playing the major leagues that I wish I knew earlier, 
was confidence and believing in yourself, not being afraid to take risks. Uh, certainly, as I was, I was just saying earlier, that if you're risk averse, you're not going to be around very long. And that applies to not even like starting your own company. It applies to moving up in your own company, mm-hmm. where, whether you want to seek out somebody, you know, as a mentor or sponsor within your company to learn from, to see how to progress. You're not going to sit in your cubicle for three years and then be like, why didn't I get promoted? Being able to kind of believe in yourself, believe that you can add value. And then I think just the value of preparation, never, never going, you know, we talked about the routine and never going into a game without a plan. I, I think it's the biggest thing that applies to, to the business world. So I want to pivot the conversation a little bit. Well, not a little, but pivot the conversation completely to women in sports. You know, I absolutely love sports. I've played various sports in my life and watched sports a lot with hockey being my favorite. Sorry, it's not baseball, but I mean, I'm Canadian, right? So you understand? (laughs) (laughs) There certainly have been a lot of changes in the world of sports within the last century when it comes to women participating. In 1924, figure skating was the only sport open to women at the first Winter Olympic Games. And in 1928, women finally got to compete in Olympic track and field events. And more recently, in 1955, the first LPGA championship was held. So we've come a long way, but I think it's safe to say that it's still a long way to go. Can you touch on inclusiveness around women in sports these days? Maybe particularly baseball, because that's your industry, Mm -hmm. but maybe other sports too. And I think the industry itself spans... Maybe beyond just playing, which we talked about a little bit offline earlier. Yeah, there's uh, a huge push, and <laughs> better late than never. Uh, you know, at, right. at, at I think we'll we'll talk. You know, maybe uh, the four major sports. Uh, one of the big things that is is I think they finally realized that they're they're not these legacy industries. They're still industries that just need to make money. You know, fundamentally, and so I think. They are not only open to women, they're now recruiting women and, and certainly opening everything up to, to bring in. They need talent. They need people that can, you know, whether it's analytics, finance, accounting, marketing, all these elements are needed for them to, you know, to make money in their business. And I had mentioned the um, senior VP for the Angels is an extremely impressive woman named Molly Jolly, and, and she started her career as an auditor. Um, and then she became a consultant. And then she just was really good at what she did. And then she actually had worked for both the the Ducks, the Anaheim Ducks, and the Angels in oh, their awesome. fin- in their finance department. So now she's essentially the third. You know, there's there's the owner, the team president, and then her. You know, she's That's working amazing. on their stadium deal. So. I think for women, I think you can find and create value in so many different places. And then, and then you become kind of a go-to person like, Hey, she gets some done and, and then you just keep, you know, moving up from there. And to be honest with you, she's had this amazing career. She's really not that old. And, uh, to, to be at the level she is, and she's been there maybe, maybe 10, 15 years. Then the other thing I was going to mention was this, uh, dynamic was the same, at least in baseball, for people that were, you know, when we had our kind of money ball data revolution, um, and you had people that maybe knew, could find undervalued things, with, you know, by looking at the numbers and players and, and, and things like that. They struggled, those guys, and, you know, I certainly met them, struggled kind of with their confidence, telling a major league player where maybe they hadn't played, either never played in high school mm-hmm. or hadn't played since high school, how to do something. And what I always used to tell them is that it is 
so competitive and is so hard to play. If you can give me anything that's going to help me perform better, tell me. Like, yeah. even if it doesn't work that night, it's, hey, it's something, you know, especially as I was saying, if, if you're struggling and you're looking for any answers, you know, and you got to, you know, those lights are about to come on at 7 p.m. and somebody can give you something that, hey, maybe you should look for this pitch or this count or you should, um, pe- people will, will love anything that's going to help them. So I think, you know, not only are they being recruited more, but I think that that cultural barrier in, in wall is down to people just getting advice from wherever. No, that's that's great. And even just increasing awareness, right? And even I think you're seeing, uh, you know, the San Antonio Spurs have a female coach on their bench. That's their one of their head assistants. And then there's female coaches, position coaches in the NFL. They had uh, the Mets hired Jessica Mendoza as a as a consultant. Just the ability to recognize talent, to human movement, and and you know, like I said, biomechanics and mm-hmm. everything, and how to judge. And you know, I think everybody's open to just having smart people. Yeah, so we are making some strides, but what avenues are out there that can help get more women involved in sports and pursue a career in that industry? So I think there's there's definitely outreach coming from the teams in the leagues. But the other thing is there's certain organizations. There's a there's a, a it's called Wise. There's a women in in sports and events that's based out in New York. And then I think finding kind of mentors out there and, and then just being, you know, having the boldness to reach out to people. I think there are in each, whether league office, there are, you know, initiatives to bring them in. So there's going to be networking events. There's going to be postings, you know, just like any new job. I think, you know, just with a little bit of due diligence and hustle, I think you'll be able to, you'll be able to find where these openings are. I think those are very helpful pointers. And maybe just to add to that, I think women should definitely not constrain themselves to finding just female mentors. Yes, it would be great to have female mentors, but sometimes you'll find certain males who are maybe more similar to you than your female boss, but you just don't realize it because you've put so much emphasis on finding a mentor who is a female. I mean, I personally have male mentors who have been very supportive and offer such interesting perspectives on career and just life in general, and maybe extending beyond mentors to allies. And I think, Brendan, Mm. you're a great example of that. You've been such a great supporter of me and my co-hosts on this podcast, and we really appreciate it. But yeah, I mean, I suggest building your network of male allies too, right? Start with your friends and male colleagues, and it's nothing formal, but don't be afraid to talk to them, to bounce ideas off of them and accept their support. Do you have any final advice for women who are trying to navigate, well, sports or just any male-dominated industries? Yeah, and I'd almost like to rephrase a little bit. I I think we were just specifically some of the maybe some of the same hurdles that like women were faced there there could be some you know kind of utility finding another woman but at the same time don't I, I totally agree with your point like don't limit yourself don't i don't oh well there's only one woman here i guess I, that's the only one that could be yeah. my mentor so don't limit yourself to that but i think you got to get you know get a little bit out of your comfort zone you're going to have to network you're going to have to build relationships with um as many people as you can and then find somebody that can be a mentor but also as we were talking about be a little bit of a sponsor and i think the biggest thing um as i was talking about a little bit where you know find your way to create value and there's two ways you know, certainly with a mentor or sponsor that you can do, you can do a build it equity on performance based or relationship based. And certainly with the relationship based, this is maybe it's somebody that 
it's a little high up and maybe you don't work directly under them, but that person has the ability to speak up for you in a certain situations for it. And so maybe you don't have any direct reporting to them, mm-hmm. but maybe you find, you know, it's just kind of how to win friends and influence people. Find some common ground, build equity and relationship there. Maybe they have, maybe they have a daughter that loves hockey, may, you right. know, or, or maybe they like, hockey. you know, find something that just builds equity and that they start to trust you. Then they see your, your performance and you, they can go from there. But so they'll speak highly of it. Second, obviously, is the, the easiest way is, is to obviously be efficient and do good work and, and let that speak for itself and uh, also speak up when opportunities come and, t- and take risks and take chances. Those are some really great advice. So Brandon, as we come to a close here, outside of baseball and business, I know you used to run a baseball clinic. You mentioned it to me once in your hometown of Queensbury, New York. Can you talk about that, the drive to start that clinic? And obviously with school and a full-time job, you took a bit of a break from it. But I, I checked out your website and it looks like it's back again this year. Or am I completely putting you on the spot here? No, it should be. It's, it's, as you saw, it's, uh, set for TBD. So, um, but, but yeah, so I started <laughs> without any, I, I said without really looking to want to like cut a profit. I just, you know, from a small town from in the Northeast area. And I just thought if I was growing up and there was a major leaguer down the street, I would want to be able to pick his brain and just be able to kind of interact with him. And so that was the, the reason I did it. And, and so, what I ended up doing was getting sponsors and keeping the costs down and getting as many kids. I had over 200 kids a couple times and I would take them through a bunch of things. I used to uh, play home run derby. And then one year, which I, I really, you know, I'll kick my coverage. I, I would play home run. They had the option to play home run derby or race me around mm-hmm. the bases. And four of them were like, I'm going to race you. And, but I would give them a head start. <laughs> and so by the fourth one, I was so gassed that the kid won. And <laughs> but, that's awesome. Uh, but, but yeah, it's just, it was, it was a great opportunity to get back. I'm trying to get it going again on yeah, um, this awesome. next off season. Yeah. Well, Brendan, I appreciate you coming on the show. What you've accomplished so far is incredible. It takes tremendous amount of discipline and work ethic in addition to extraordinary ability and talent to reach that level of play in baseball. But you've taken the skills you learned on the field and have been applying them off the field and doing such a great job. So I'm super proud of you. Thank you. And uh, likewise to all uh, to you ladies for... Uh getting this going and and uh um it's it's been phenomenal i've listened to all you know subscribed and listened to <laughs> listen to all your episodes and it's been great uh great to watch awesome well for those who'd like to get in touch with you what would be the best way i'd say linkedin or, or uh twitter great well we'll include links to those on the show notes as always if you want to reach us send us an email at four of a kind podcast at gmail.com you can also follow us on instagram at four of a kind podcast for updates and don't forget to hit subscribe on itunes spotify google podcast or stitcher that's it for today thanks again to our guest brendan harris and to all of you for tuning in have a great weekend everyone <laughs>